You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Get the scoop on Tigers today. Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com and the Tiger Minor League Report, powered by the Overtime Media Network and our 4th of July Let the Freedom Ring episode edition, which is I think it's the first time we've ever done an episode on 4th of July, correct? Uh, I don't remember doing one in a fourth episode in the Fourth of July before. No, I don't. I don't think so either. And we both had the day off, of course, because of work or because I mean, the, obviously the holiday. And we both. It was funny because I told Chris yesterday. I'm like, I know you don't really get to sleep in very often, but just text me when you're up because sleep is precious. When you have um, one, Mister Harrison Brown, getting ready to, <laughs> to celebrate the day. Yeah, he actually uh, he actually didn't wake me up till seven thirty today, but that's because we kept him up till like ten. <laughs> uh, which usually doesn't work. Usually that doesn't matter. He'll still get up. So, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, nice well, to sleep in for a bit. Yeah, get some uh, seven hours, six hours to sleep. Uh, a couple programming notes to mention. So Emily Walden will be our guest next on uh, next week's show to talk about the futures game, and she'll be heading out there for Cleveland. Of course, she writes for the Athletic, and you know her on Twitter as well at Emily A Walden. So we'll be having her on next week, kind of talk about that, talk about the Tigers draft picks a little bit. And also, uh, I know that I've been guilty of just not warning people of when we get the, our spots, but we do have a spot uh, going forward. So we're going to be sponsored by BlueChew.com. So Chris's favorite chewable. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, we'll be, so either my, uh, you'll be hearing the smooth, delicate tones of my voice talking about uh, boner pills. But uh, we also have a new uh, – we'll also be having a new sponsor, Manscaping. <laughs> and that starts next week. So. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're all about the dick and balls here. Yeah, there's no, there's no debating it. <laughs> I didn't know there was ball deodorant until yesterday, and now I know. But uh, on a more uh, much more much much more somber note, uh, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, that's this uh, not the greatest segue way to do it. But there's not there's no good uh, you know segue into a tragedy. Yes, and uh, Tyler Sags uh, passed away in his hotel room on Monday night. It was a it was Monday, correct? Uh, I don't really remember that. It sounds about right. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, I believe it was because they had just arrived in Texas. I don't Correct. know, but yeah, he he died. They found him the early afternoon that day in his hotel room. Um, yeah, just the tragedy. What is he? Twenty seven years old. Twenty seven years old. Correct. It's, it's you know he's been around. It seems like he's been around forever because I think he made his debut when he was like twenty and he struggled with injuries and stuff. But yeah, he was just starting to. to kind of pulled together it seemed like he'd always struggled with walks and actually the tigers uh kind of beat up on him early in this year it was his worst start of the year but yeah he was pitching well overall and it's just uh god just see anybody that that age die is is uh just super sad and you know we were all kind of speculating about what happened but it doesn't it, it sounds like it might just be one of those really freak like daryl kyle uh i don't know heart issues i don't know i guess we'll find out but oh man just such a bummer yeah and if you have a chance to i mean to see brad osmus talk about him and break down it was 
very, very different because we let's let's be honest here. A lot of people in this area have a kind of biased opinion about Brad Osmus, but to see him cry like that and to see him show emotion like that, it was it break down a manager yeah. like that. That that was saying something about him. But I mean, not to say you couldn't say anything about him before, but just I've never seen that before from him. Yeah, I mean, he had a reputation for being kind of aloof, and uh, but it's it's just a tragedy, and and you're there, and this is a young kid, you're coaching him, and then suddenly he's just gone. Like, I don't know how you keep playing baseball after that, other than, I guess, it just distracts you, maybe. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I, it's just hard to fathom. Yeah. And and we've talked before, like, we, the Angels just have this long history of tragedy that is, that is I don't know, it's just one of those coincidences, but, man, we, we immediately people thought of Nick Adenhart, who I don't remember when he died, but I think he, it was the night he made his major league debut when he got his first win and then died in a car crash later that night, I believe. And he was their number one prospect at the time, I think. Um, when was that? I feel like that was like 2012, maybe. Um, I have it right here. So, yeah, it was, let's see. 2009. Yeah, was, yeah I feel like it was, yeah, I felt like it was earlier than that. But, yeah, he, he came up and yeah, just it just kind of, kind of happened like that. Really, it was a, it was April of two thousand nine. Uh, a drunk driver hit him. Yep, killed by a drunk driver. And and <clears throat> I was looking back, you know, because we we thought of that one, and obviously it's like you know one tragedy too many. But there are like half a dozen tragedies in the Angels' history, and they're not that old of a franchise. When did they come around? In the early 60s? Yeah, correct. They were the Los Angeles Angels. They were the second. In order to combat L.A. with the Dodgers going to L.A., the American League decided to put a franchise in L.A., and the the Angels were were it. Yeah, so I I was looking. They had a a rookie pitcher named Dick Watts, which, I mean, (laughs) come on. Yeah. Uh, But he came up. He made his major league debut. uh, He was 25 in 1965, and a week later, during a road trip to New York City, he began having severe headaches, and he was hospitalized here in Detroit. And then he was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor and died after going uh, one month later during surgery. So a month after his major league debut, he died of a brain tumor. Um, and there was Chico Ruiz, who was uh, kind of a light-hitting Cuban infielder, who began with the Reds, and then ended up uh, he kind of, he famously uh, stole home against the Phillies. In a what ended up being a one nothing game, and and the Phillies kind of cursed him after that. They ended up they had a six and a half game lead with twelve games to go, and they lost ten in a row and blew it, and they blamed it on him. Um, but yeah, he ended up with the Angels and, and uh, played there for two years, and then he died in a single car crash in outside of San Diego in what is this nineteen seventy? I don't know nineteen seventy some five or something like that. Uh, Mike Miley, their number one pick in 1974. He was tenth overall at LSU, where he also played quarterback. He he struggled in 1975 as a rookie, but he was like 23, and, and you know, like you don't see guys necessarily come up and do that. And he was playing pretty well in AAA, and then he died in a single car crash outside of Baton, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in 1977. Their first round pick, and then Lyman Bostock, who was. Uh, one of the first kind of big free agent signings. He, he played a couple of years for the Twins and, and was really up and comer, like hitting for power and some speed and playing center field. He got uh, traded, or not traded, he, he signed with the Angels 
And then in his first year there, after a game with the White Sox, he went to go visit his family in Gary, Indiana, and was shot in the head by a, the estranged husband of a woman he had just met 20 minutes before. So it's just like, God, one thing after another with this franchise. And then you mentioned Donnie Moore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the Donnie Moore situation is kind of different in the sense that he did, oh, first and foremost, some of the, 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 the media and a little bit of his own GM kind of hung him out to dry a little bit because what people forget about the 1986 game in the ALCS is that the next inning he shut out the Red Sox. The Angels had a chance to win it in the, in, win it, and Doug DeCensus and I, believe, I think it was it was um, Bobby Gre- Bobby Grinch or Greer, Greer excuse me or I'm saying his name incorrectly both had a chance to win the game and they didn't in, in the extra innings and that would have totally eliminated more off of the hook but he was never the same in '87 he struggled he his GM said that because he was struggling with injuries because uh, the doctor the team doctor couldn't figure it out. Uh, Mike Port called him out saying that uh, he was kind of just, I don't know, like embellying a little bit and was saying, get out there and pitch. But in the offseason, they found out that he had a bone spur in his back. But he was never the same. He got booed quite a bit. And then he went, um, I mean, he was at home. However, he was a domestic person who domestically abused his wife. He shot his wife. Then he killed himself. But a lot of his teammates, I mean, Brian Downing and Doug DeCensus both said that he blamed himself for not getting to the 86 world. The 86 ALCS really hung on his head. And so, uh, but for the Tigers, there was something that may people, may people, people may remember this. People may not. I'm not, but we have some older fans out there who listen and we take pride in that. And one name might come out there for some people out there, maybe even Tigers history, our friend over at Tigers history, who, by the way, just launched his new website. Well, check that out. But uh, Rob Souza was a Tigers draft pick that was drafted in 1984 by the Tigers in the second round. Made a good debut in Lakeland. He was killed in a car accident. And he was killed on January 8th, 1985. And he was part of the University of Miami when they started rising up a little bit in the College World Series in the 80s. And he was a Tigers second round he was a second-round draft pick, and he was progressing well in the minors. And so that was I – I remember seeing the story as a kid, and I couldn't remember the guy's name. And yeah, he was the 52nd pick overall out of the University of Miami. So – and the Tiger, back then, the Tigers had – like, it was interesting. They had a January draft and a June draft, and it was all really confusing. They even had an American Legion draft. But either way, he was a Tigers prospect who passed away in a car accident. So. Yeah, I I didn't remember him, so that was uh, you know it's like it's kind of bound to happen, you know, just just the way it goes with cars and in so many players, it's it's just uh, yeah, it's always tragic, and I'm still kind of amazed that that we've yet to have a major professional sports team plane crash. Um, yeah. I know planes are plane crashes are very rare, but you would think with all the flights and all the, you know, cross your fingers it never happens. But yeah, I don't know. It's all very morbid. Celebrating Fourth of July. Yeah, let's not. Yeah, let's let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk about. Let's celebrate Tyler Alexander's start last night, and the 
you know, it was a start that a lot of people did not expect. Uh, uh, to be credit, we didn't, among our Twitter group, weren't really sure what the Tigers were. They, I understand why, because it was his turn in rotation in Toledo. And I've been watching a lot of Mudheads games because of the Mudheads podcast we're doing, but also just to see what's going on. He got a start that I, I think was a pleasant surprise to us all. Went five innings, two runs. Both of them were home runs. He struck out four. He just turned his back thing, uh, Ali or uh, a la Annabelle Sanchez. His curveball last night was looking, it was his strikeout pitch, too. And Chris has some advanced stats, and as do I. But I know Chris, he came out there against a, a free swinging White Sox team that has a lot of power, which we saw demonstrated in the extra innings part, which <laughs> I just I look at my Twitter inbox and he's like, holy shit, he just blasted that thing. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Moncada. Well, yeah. that was. Uh... A little bit later, but yeah, um, it, I don't know. I, I, I mean, we knew a couple things about Tyler Alexander. We we talked, you know, he had like a seven ERA in AAA this year. Um, what was it? What was it? Six two three. So he was coming off a couple. His two starts ago, he had twelve strikeouts, and this last start, seven strikeouts. So he seemed to be figuring something out. Maybe I don't know, but uh, yeah, we know he's he's never a guy that like wows with stuff. It's it's a fringe average fastball, and and uh, you know. Fringe average breaking balls, and but he throws a ton of strikes, and that's that came to pass uh, last night. He didn't he didn't walk anybody, I don't think, and he was consistently working the edges of the zone, and and he was getting he got a ton of uh, ground balls to Nico Goodrum at shortstop, who by the way looks pretty good at shortstop defensively, and yes. uh, you know, um, so yeah, it, it was he kept him off balance. He was bringing the breaking ball inside or outside and the fastball inside and outside. And, and when he left it over the heart of the zone, it got demolished, but he was able to avoid doing that very often. And yeah, I don't know. It was, it was one of those things where like, I still don't think, you know, I, I, I don't know what's there for the future, but I'd certainly be willing to give him another start after, after that. I mean, it was, it was somebody was pointing out. Uh, it was Jed. Jed pointed out he looked better than Daniel Norris, and <laughs> he, he he did. I mean, like we said, I, Norris is. It's a completely different profile. Norris has got a, a much better slider, and theoretically more velocity, even though he doesn't anymore. But um, but yeah, Norris doesn't have the command, and and Alexander showed it at least. In that, and and to do that in your major league debut was pretty impressive because he didn't seem rattled at all. Other than you know, he gave him a home run to what the second batter, but didn't seem to bother him. You compare that to what uh, what happened to Dylan Cease in his first inning. Uh, you know, he made his debut in the first game of the doubleheader for the White Sox, and he's you know, I think he hit triple digits and had a ridiculous curveball, but he could not throw a strike to save his life. Yeah, five walks, first I think, something like that. Five walks or something like that. Yeah, and that's sort of what you expect from a a, a pitching prospect, a young pitching prospect, especially one who's got like a big arm. Like if and when you know Matt Manning makes his debut, I expect something sort of similar, where he's just like throwing way too hard, and like you just can't help it. The adrenaline is just so high. Um, but yeah, Alexander didn't seem phased at all, and uh, it was it was pretty impressive. Yeah, and for in terms of breaking down a percentage, a little bit of how he was what he was pitching, he threw his four seamer, which was the, the the two home runs he allowed. Threw it 41% of the time, a curveball. The th- curveball, which was getting his strikeouts on, 32% of the time. A sinker, 15%, and a changeup. And he threw one slider. And we're looking at, I was looking at spin rates. And, I mean, 
not, I don't want to say below average, but I mean an average four seam fastball. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I think we was average. What was the curveball? It was or the breaking ball? It was um, twenty three hundred. Yeah, it was twenty three eighty six. So yeah, the, the the curveball or breaking ball was below average spin. But yeah, we looked it up, and and the the spin rate on his fastball was just about average. Or it was twenty two fifty. Who were we saying? It was right around the same like as like John Lester and and Tyler Glass now guys like that. So yeah, it, it's not gonna be like a secret weapon for him or anything like that. But it's uh, you know it's better than being a bad pitch. It's below average. Yeah. And and it's it's the sort of thing where if if you're pounding the bottom of the zone and then you throw one up at the top of the zone you might be able to get that swing and miss i mean he only got five swings and misses and i don't think that's gonna be part of his game but you know we're searching for any any rays of hope for the tigers this year and and as a former second rounder they they drafted him twice they took him in the second round it was considered kind of an overdraft um and to see him come up and make a, a solid start is is good you know it's spe- good for him and, and good for the Tigers. Yeah, it's good for the Tigers. And speaking of starting pitching, Chris, I mean, the one thing until Norris's start against the White Sox, the Tigers have, in, in the last, their starters have allowed three runs or less. I mean, Soto kind of technically and, and Turnbull don't count technically, but mm-hmm. still the starters have held their own. I mean, Soto did what he could on three days rest. I mean, Jacoby Jones being one of the best catchers of the year on that, but I mean, Zimmerman was in quote-unquote a pitcher's duel with Max Scherzer in the sense that he kept the Tigers in the game, but Scherzer was just mowing people over as he always does. But still, that was encouraging to get a start by Jordan to hold his own. But the White Sox, I mean, the White Sox yesterday showed a little bit, and it was kind of leads into the segues into Chris's poll they put on Twitter last night a little bit. The White Sox were way ahead in terms of rebuilding. The, 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 the talent they have among... Just you look at that White Sox roster, Chris, the up and down. And then you and I were talking about on Twitter, like I, I thought the White Sox still need more pitching. I know I know mm. you, you like their trio of pitchers, but I, I thought their, their bullpen is still some ways to go. But you got Mankata. I mean, even what's their – like, look, James McCann is considering an ulcer. I mean, there's something different about James McCann right now, for Christ's sake. And we don't know what the hell's going on with that. And, I, and I'm not poo-pooing the guy at all. I mean – but you have Elroy Jimenez. You have Abreu still. I mean, Abreu last night was who was two for six last night. He drove in three. Did a, he's done a pretty good job of being this elder statesman, elder statesman among yeah. them. And I like Yomar Sanchez. I mean, I, I think he's he's not going to provide you a lot of power or, or not going to be like a um, world beater or anything. But I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to like about this team. And once they get the pitching figure out, I think they still need a couple of starters to kind of like they're I think in the same position with the Braves where they have young pitchers who are going to take some time to figure out. But man, man, do they have some offense? Yeah, it, well, that's the thing. We we compare if you want to compare them to the Tigers and in the, the state of the rebuild. The uh, first of all, the the White Sox got much much more in trades. And they did that because they had great deals, great contracts for guys like Eaton and Sale and Quintana. And they made the trades uh, earlier. They rebuilt, started uh, tearing it down before the Tigers did. But, yeah, you just look at you look at their, their starting pitching, which I agree they do need more. But they've got a pretty solid core. When you, you start with Lucas Giolito, who's still only 24, he's almost 25. But he looked like he was uh, a bust. And then this year, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. 24, 11-2 with a 2.72 ERA. His strikeout his, have jumped by four per nine. So he figured something out. Michael Kopech, 
looked pretty good last year. I think he made his debut against the Tigers too, or at least he pitched against the Tigers. I remember that. Um, he he still needed some work to do, but then uh, he blew his arm out. So you don't know what's happening there, but but he's got front line potential. Dylan Cease, another huge arm. It's it's another case where you know there's some skepticism about him sticking in the rotation because of his wildness. But you throw a guy like that in the bullpen, and you've got a lights out closer too. So. And then they had Dane Dunning, but he went down with Tommy John surgery. So they've had some injuries, but the arms are there. And they still have Ronaldo Lopez, who he's have a terrible year, but didn't he strike out like 14 Tigers early this year? Yeah. Is, and, and, I mean, that's, and Chris that's is, not uh, his terribly num- hard. But. I was going to say, his numbers, weren't, his numbers, like in terms of like, if you look at his numbers, are not, I think on a better team, maybe he would be disguised better. But go ahead, continue as you were. Well, I mean, I would just say that that's another, yeah. So he's got a, he's got a 6-1-2 ERA, but he, he put up a 3-9-1 ERA last year. The FIP was uh, 4-6, so he was getting lucky. But that's another guy with a huge arm that, that if it doesn't work out, then you put him in the bullpen. See, like, the relief stuff doesn't bother me that much because you can, you can find relievers despite what uh, the Tigers' history with <laughs> Dave Dabrowski uh, and then El Avila with their closers. Uh you can you can kind of cobble together a bullpen, or you can trade for relievers uh, once you have everything else. But so I, I think their pitching is in a better spot than the Tigers, which is supposed to be the the you know the core of the Tigers' rebuild is you know Mize, Manning, Fido, Burroughs, Funkhauser, Scoobel. Now all those guys, I think I would take Giolito and Kopech and Cease over. The Tigers stop trio just because Julio's already in the bigs and already doing it, you know. But then even beyond that, then you look at the position player talent that the White Sox have, and this is where they just blow the Tigers out of the water. There's not it's not even close. So you've got Moncada, who hit a four hundred and sixty foot home run last <laughs> night. Uh, you've got Eloy Jimenez who's up. You've got Louis Robert. Uh, the the Cuban signee, he's 21. He was he's just de- demolishing the minor leagues. He doesn't walk much, but he's just an, an elite speed power talent. You've got Nick Madrigal, who was I don't know, I forgot what where he was picked last year, but he's got a guy hitting 300 in Double A. Was he top five pick, right? I believe so. Yeah, it's uh, certainly top six or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think maybe fourth overall. Um, he he's he looks he's not hitting for any power which was kind of the concern about him, but he looks for, for all the world like a kind of an elite top-of-the-order guy who's going to hit for average, uh, take his walks, not strike out, and steal bases. He got Andrew Vaughn, who they just drafted, uh, potentially, you know, as a, as a top hitter. And, and it's just, yeah, they've got a lot more. They're a lot closer than the Tigers are, and it's, it's a bummer. Um, the Tigers, they added Riley Green, but... You just don't see a lot of impact talent there the way you see with the White Sox. So I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, we'll see what happens. We, we always joke about the White Sox. I always figure out a way to screw it up. But the, I, it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if they're, like, competing for the division next year. Yeah, we have to get uh, Casey back on Focus Law, one of our uh, a fan of the, or friend of the show who's a big yeah. White Sox guy, knows his White Sox. And speaking of Bummer, by the way, Aaron Bummer. Bummer. Yeah, <laughs> you see where I was going with it. Yeah. And here's an example, Chris, of – I think a little bit of instructional talent in, across the organization, but also finding a gem in the late round. This guy was drafted in the 19th round out of Nebraska, a lefty who is really coming to his own, Chris. I mean, he's he's a guy who they, they pick his spots when they put him out there, but he's been he's done pretty well so far this season. He's uh, th- 31 innings, 32 strikeouts, but 
the, the the key thing too is I mean his strikeouts per nine is nine point two, and he's got a WHIP of point uh, nine two six. But then to mention Chris, but they the way they've been able to bring him on. I mean this is a guy who they drafted in nineteenth round. The Tigers have had a hard time even getting some guys in later rounds that come up and, and make an impact pitching wise. Yeah, you know it, it's it's kind of what you want to see when you're in. in rebuild phase where a team like you just give these guys chances and yeah, he's coming up and, and pitching well. And I, I don't know, man, like the, the Jose Ruiz kid they brought in who's got a terrible ERA and his stats across the board are awful, but he was pumping 98, 99 just struck out the side. It's like, all right, well, and, and we talk, you know, we used to always joke about the tigers, you know, they love the, the velocity and the, the power arms and, and compared like they don't have power arms compared to everybody else in baseball. You got, you got Jimenez, who I think could touch 97, and Cisnero was 96, and, and he can get up to 98. Uh, he hasn't – I don't think I've seen it in the majors, but he was doing it in Toledo. But, like, that's it. They don't have anybody who's who's flirting with triple digits anymore. They don't have anything like that. I, you know, you got Foley and Pinto down in, in high A, but who knows what's up with them. And it's uh, – like, every single team in baseball has, like, three guys at the bullpen throwing 97 plus now and the tigers are just it's weird it's like uh oh it's like they're the old twins i guess <laughs> who knew oh it's crazy i don't know yeah. all those the former players uh twin wise are uh, it's, it's really yeah. crazy but uh and also uh, look if i'm a white Sox fan i'm gonna build a statue of don cooper in front of guaranteed rate field because the guy's <laughs> been first of all he's been there since 2002 but second most important thing no matter who the manager is, they've gone through quite a bit or quite a few here in, in the last uh, almost 20 plus, only 20 years coming up here shortly. It, the, the, one, the one constant is Don Cooper. Yeah, he's there, Lloyd McClendon. Well, I mean, much more effective, though, would you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, was, I was just joking. Yeah, because yeah, didn't Lloyd coach for Leland, Osmus, and uh, Gardenhire? Yeah, I don't correct. Remember. Yeah, that, correct. Yeah, but. No, no, you're right. No, yeah, he, yeah, Le- yeah, Leland, Osmus, and now uh, Gardner. You're correct. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, he but must love the, what he's doing. Yeah, but Cooper. He thinks Jacoby Jones, though, except maybe not him. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, because there's people on Twitter who, who who swear up and down that the Tigers fixed them, and whether you're opinion about that or not is thank you, and we appreciate that. And I, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm staying off the. There's been a lot of weird things on Twitter lately where people are just. When they they're right, they just want to like, huh? See, oh, 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 it's the Tigers. The Tigers sucks. Like, who cares? Okay, oh I forgot that Lloyd was the manager for the the Mariners in twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. Oh yeah, yeah. It's failed mail. Uh, he was. I don't say, well, it's true. He wasn't a good manager in Pittsburgh. He in Seattle got kind of. What I mean, Seattle he wasn't bad, but I don't know. The the whole Twitter yeah. thing cracks me up though. It's like just, just ladies and gentlemen. When you prove a point and you got it right, there's no the, the the gloating thing cracks me up. Or when you're wrong, you certainly get quiet. It's it is what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. like, case in point, two years ago, I said Tyler Alexander would be a guy the Tigers would have in the rotation by now. Two three years ago, when Chris first Chris and I first started doing this, I know you gave me inquisitive, really Roger, and then, but I, hey, I was wrong. And I mean, last night started encouraging, but I'm not gonna sit there and dust off my shoulders like, see, told you, no, we're wrong, we're wrong, we're we're all we're doing. We're speculating based off what we see. So, anyways, moving on. I don't want to get into all that jazz. But, so your poll, Chris, when did the rebuild start? And how has been the results so far of this poll? 
Uh, so yeah, I, I, I ask because this is kind of an argument that a lot of people had. When when did the Tigers really start rebuilding? Was it when they traded away David Price and Jonas Cespedes for Matt Boyd and Daniel Norris and Michael Fulmer, or was it after after uh, you know in 2017 when they traded away Verlander and JD Martinez and Upton and Kinsler and all that stuff? Um, and it's it, there, I see points on either side because the Tigers really did. You know, they they, they clearly. You know, sold. It was just uh, clear as day in 2015, and that appears to be why, like Illich didn't want to do that apparently, or I don't know what was going on. But that's you know, then Dubrovsky got fired, and, and Avila came in, and suddenly they spent a ton of money trying for it again, uh, and then they sold again in 2017. So I can see why people would argue, but then there's the argument that like they, they really haven't been, you know, they haven't been trading prospects or anything like that trying to compete since 2015. Um, but yeah, so right now it's like 63% believe there we're in year two of the rebuild. And if that's what you believe, then now everything's good because, you know, it was Dave Dabrowski's second year was 2003. And uh, just three years later, they're in the World Series. So I, I guess that's what people are hoping right now. Um, the thing that I'm going to get to later today, and I don't are you going to post the show later today? Yeah, I'm posting the show as soon as we're done. Oh, all right. Well, then, uh, but yeah, basically I'm going to ask the question then. So if you believe this is the second year of the rebuild and the Tigers were trying to compete in 2016, what about the moves they made in 2016 makes you think that these are the right people to lead the team in the, for- in the future? Was it the trade for Francisco Rodriguez? Was it the signing of Jordan Zimmerman or the signing of Mike Pelfrey or the signing of Mike Avilas or the signing of Mark Lowe? Or the signing of Justin Upton. Which one of those things makes you think, yep, once we get uh, the prospects coming up, this is the group to lead us to the promised land? That's my next question that's going to go up in a poll later today. Because I'm curious if people, even if this is only year two of the rebuild, what makes people confident in any way in this front office? So Yeah. And, and and the thing is, and there's, there's two, I would you say, Chris, there's two different schools of thought about the front office right now. On people that we follow on Twitter, because there's there's one school saying give Avila more patience. He's done a decent job, blah blah blah. And there's other school thought, which I, I like. I used to be kind of in the middle, like, well, I'm gonna give him more time. But there is nothing to me in the last couple of years, especially some of the drafts that resulted yielded zero results. And ladies and gentlemen, some of these some of these things that proclamations are grasping at straws. I mean, you could sit there and say, well. The trades led to this, and this is you know this is why Jacoby Jones and all that stop. Okay, mm-hmm. if you look at the infield talent on this roster right now, or in, on the entire system right now, there is. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. Tell me if I'm wrong. Look at Willie Castro. He's hitting well, but he's got almost 20 years in Toledo. Okay, right, so he he's considered the best shortstop prospect. Wait, wait, almost what in Toledo? What'd you say? Almost 20 years. 20 errors. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, was, I thought you said 20 years. I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah, no, that's I mean, the errors are the big issue. Yep, okay. That's, that's it. Even if, if, even if it's uh, like not going to be an issue going forward, it's giving the Tigers a, an excuse to keep them down there. And I don't think they're necessarily like looking for excuses, although it does kind of feel like that way at times. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're, he's not finished with his development, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so... 
Okay, so shortstop wise, that's why we have Willie Castro. Third base. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to draw. I'm trying to say who is their top prospect at third base right now. I'm not, like I'm, I'm I'm being serious right now, Chris. I mean, I'm like in terms yeah. of who's not minor league roster fodder. Who I mean, right now? Who's their third base? Third baseman of the future. Uh, well, you would have to. I guess you'd have to say Isaac Paredes. Um, assuming that he's not going to be a shortstop or second baseman, he fits best at third base. Although I, I do question whether the the power is there. He's got some pull power. I think he's only got one or two home runs to the center field or opposite field in the last few years. I don't have to have to look into it, but I mean that's the guy you hope that. And maybe the power will show up once he gets those gyro balls in uh, AAA and major leagues. But that's uh, yeah, that's that's where you hope. Yeah. So yeah. So it praises right there because I I, I still consider him like a short like in terms of uh, I I didn't want to I didn't where to classify him whether it's second base or third. But okay. So yeah, third base is right there. Then yeah. In, in but even even saying that, the odds of him being anything more than an average major league player are pretty low. And they're pretty low of him becoming an average major league player. You know, it's just yeah. just the way it is with prospects. So you're, he's not like some future stud, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, and that, exactly. We don't we don't know what there. And then second base, we have Cody Clemens, considered the quote unquote second baseman in the future. He's struggled a little bit at Lakeland, but he's been turning on as of late a little bit. But and then at first base, no idea. I have literally no idea who the Tigers are going to be at first base right now. It's supposed to be um, Ray. Uh, uh, the the kid Rivera. out of, yeah Ray Rivera eh, not happening yeah well it, you know I could end up being one of the dudes that they they drafted this year um, Andre Lipsius played first base I think his freshman year at Tennessee and he's also played he's been playing second base and shortstop for West Michigan but uh, people kind of consider him more of a third baseman I could see him going back to first base it's it's you know the way baseball is now it, it's kind of more about positional versatility than classic like hey we need to hide this guy's bat. Uh, but the Tigers don't really have any bats to hide. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it could be him. It could be, who knows, maybe their 10th rounder from, uh, I forgot his name, or maybe Bryant Packard, you know, the, the kid from East Carolina. But, yeah, it's not very, it's not obvious right now who their first baseman of the future is. Yeah, no, exactly. And and then catcher-wise, Jake Rogers, of course, mm-hmm. and out the, you know, rounding out the infield. But then in the outfield, Right now, I mean, you can – Brock Deffridge is considered up there. I mean, one steal Perez, but going back to short for a second, but he's still at West Michigan. I don't consider anybody until double-A, until we saw the double-A. That's kind of like – I think the ground rule should be considered, if that's fair. But then mm-hmm. Brock Deffridge, Riley Green. Um, oh, maybe I'm trying to think of another outfielder out there as well. Um, and I'm trying to think of a left fielder right now who – and that's that's even up in the air, correct? I mean – Well, I, I mean, I guess you're hoping that Kristen Stewart figures things out and he's your – Oh, I'm sorry. I meant like I meant yeah, in terms of uh, yeah, going full. I meant in the minors, but yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So, I, I guess you know, not necessarily like dedicated left fielders right now. Like Ulrich Boyarski looks solid as a corner outfielder. But and I tweeted this other thing out the other day. The Tigers just have like they've cornered the market on outfielders who can't walk, who don't walk. They've got like five five outfielders, one at every level. Uh, you know. Who like Victor Reyes? He's hitting well, but not walking. In Double A, it's Jose Azucar, who's is hitting well and not walking. And Derek Hill, who's not hitting well and not walking. Although he did have a walk-off homer last night, which is pretty cool. Uh, in Single A, you got Brock Dethridge, who's starting to hit well, but still not walking. 
And then single A, you've got uh, Ulrich Boyarski, who's hitting well and not walking. And then you got Parker Meadows, who's walking but not hitting well. So, yeah, the outfield's an issue. Das Cameron, not hitting well. He's walking but also striking out too much and getting caught stealing. And, and yeah, I, that's another one where you gotta got to figure out where you, know, you, you can't put all your hope in Riley Green. Victor Reyes. guy's not going to fix everything. No, yeah, Victor Reyes. I mean, you know, by the way, he had a really good throw against the Nationals. He was up. Defensively is sound, but doesn't walk any. But uh, let's. All right, we'll be, we're going to take a quick break so we can make room for, well, figuratively and literally speaking, room, make room for bluechill.com. Make some space for this blue chew. Yeah, man. Makes, <laughs> so. Speaking of making space in your pants. <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of rockets, um, so uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then after the after your blue shoe, we're gonna get into international science. We're gonna go inside the numbers, do our good, bad, and ugly, and yes, we'll definitely talk about Campos, uh, Roberto Campos, Campos. Excuse me. You're listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioNetwork.com, powered by the Overtime Media Network, and our friends over at Tiger Minor League Report. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com and Overtime Media Network oh, and all this stuff. Feeling, feeling a little stiff over here. Yeah. <laughs> Camping out after all that stuff. So, um, so you know, uh, getting back into it a little bit. Uh, so, before I wanted to go, we'll get to, we'll talk about the international signings first. And the Tigers making some interesting choices at 300 or at $3 million and. Let's talk. Let's talk about the yeah the one who came up with the bling bling in the picture and Roberto Campos when we talked about that story about a month ago where the Tigers were tied to him and then I have that pic, uh, I have that link from the Orlando Sentinel which I think is him at batting I think it, it pretty much is him because he's the biggest kid among these Cuban kids that are out there and yeah there is no picture no scouting report Chris and, and Chris this is kind of a, a move of mystery a little bit and. You know, we we don't know. We we don't even have a scout told me aspect of this all either, Chris. And this just seems like a among the other international signs we'll get to. But this one, I'm, I'm a, it's a head scratcher because I feel like the Tigers are trying to be the smartest person, smartest people in the room with this. Going, well, we know more than anybody else, but I don't know, man. Well, yeah, it, it really, it really kind of threw me for a loop. Because well, so when when Major League Baseball had their you know the pipeline, they put their top 30 international prospects. And we noticed there were no Tigers on there. But then you pointed out the article where uh, Jesse Sanchez mentioned that the Tigers have been tied to so-and-so, but he isn't qualified to make the list or something like that. And was like, well, what, what's that mean? Is he 15? What? I don't understand. Um, is he a highly regarded player? Uh, then, you know, uh, Fangraphs put up their top 40 international players. Tigers aren't linked to anybody. I looked at uh, Perfect Game had like 125 international players, and only one of the guys, the Tigers, ended up inking, uh, made the list. And so, yeah, he's like this this complete enigma, and they gave him $2.8 million, which is one of the bigger signings you'll ever see. It's certainly the biggest signing by them, by far, in their history for an international player, at least uh, in modern history. I don't know if they, a long time ago. but uh, So, yeah, it's really kind of strange because the – the four or five guys who got higher bonuses than that this year are all 
you know, a top 20 prospects in their system now, according to Fangraphs. They all have, you know, like the, the, guys, the guy the Yankees signed, he's their number one prospect now, Jason Dominguez. And we still don't know what Roberto Campos is. Like he, he doesn't make the Tigers list on Fangraphs anymore because I don't think they have any idea what he is. And, you know, it's, it's not rare for players uh, on the international market to kind of go under the radar a little bit just because they, they come to these agreements with teams when they're 13 or 14 generally. And sometimes they just kind of, then they don't go to any showcases. They're, they're only practicing with that team and stuff like that. And that's, that's why people are like, Hey, you know, three months before the actual signing date, people are like, he's strongly linked to the Yankees. It's because he's already signed with the Yankees basically. Right. Um, so it's entirely possible the Tigers signed this kid three years ago, two years ago, and just kept him away from everything uh, in the hopes that nobody else would find out about him and nobody else would offer him more money, I guess. But you, you have to believe that if they're offering close to $3 million, that somebody else out there was going to offer him money. Uh, I don't know. It, but, yeah, there's just nobody knows anything. The, the first scouting report we got was from Tom Moore, their director, director of international scouting. And said, yeah, he's a, he's a big, strong kid with raw power who can hit and who shows patience. And so, well, that sounds good. But it's like, I guess we'll just have to take your word for it because nobody else has ever heard of this dude. So You're pulling hey, a, he's just a, a really bizarre. Pulling a LeVar Burton there. Uh, you don't have to take my word for it, reading Rainbow style there. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Kurtz. Go ahead. Oh, nothing. No, it, it just it was – I mean – we want the Tigers to make these sort of splashes in the international market. It's one of the few areas where you can really get a massive talent. I like the, the, the guys the Yankees got. They paid him $5 million, and he would, if the draft were today, he probably would have been, if he were eligible for the draft, he would have been a top five pick easy. Um, so, yeah, this is a good way to get talent. It's just, it's just kind of weird to see them finally go in like this on a guy that nobody's heard of. Yeah. So let's let's hope that they know something that nobody else did. Yeah, among among that they also signed uh Roddy De Los Santos, uh Wilmer Villon, uh Ilibito Lopez and Danny Martinez. Uh Danny Martinez is a catcher, Lopez a outfielder. Villon is a right handed pitcher. Los Santos is De Los Santos, excuse me, is a shortstop. Campos was mentioned outfield. They're also tied to they also they also signed Manuel uh Sirguera, who's an infielder. They also signed a catcher by the name of Samuel Rojas, and he's a 16-year-old Venezuelan catcher. So that rounds out the signings. Um, so Jacoby Jones, but by the way, breaking news, Jacoby Jones placed on the IL, and Victor Reyes will get, uh, gets the call up. So, um, yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. So, again, I, I mean, this, <laughs> I mean, again, defensively, that's a, it's a sound, you know, so, uh, Victor Reyes, come on down again, or come on up. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Jacoby Jones, one of their best hitters over the last uh, two months. Yeah, that's a big good blow to for see him. Hurt. Very good. It's one of the, <laughs> what a weird. Like he was one of the best defenders in baseball last year. Couldn't hit a lick. This year, couldn't hit a lick. Suddenly started hitting, and it turns out, oh, he's playing really poor defense, and now he's hurt. So, good. What a fine turn of events for Jacoby Jones and the Tigers. But, yeah, I mean, he left yesterday's game with back spasms, I think. So, yeah. not always weak. Anytime a back injury comes up, that just 
worries me because those things pop up out of nowhere. You'll and, be fine, and suddenly you're Kevin Love sitting on the bench in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, and Rob Rojek. I'm not angry. <laughs> Rob Rojek, by the way, of the Bless You Boys, that's where I just found it. Just as It just came up literally So um, for BlessYouBoys.com um, on that uh, breaking news, if you will. So uh, moving on, though, I'm sorry, as we were just talking about the IL sign or uh, international signings. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, for me, the, the Tigers, in terms of what I saw other teams were doing, Pittsburgh, Baltimore signed 28, 28 uh, signings. Pittsburgh going hand. But then again, like we mentioned, and we've talked about this before with the Orioles, the Orioles have not spent money on the uh, market in a while. They they didn't even get anybody in 2017 last year. They got uh, two or three gentlemen they drafted who are making an impact. But uh, the Orioles' research led to my inside the number this week a little bit because I haven't really been – we know the Orioles are – the Tigers are chasing the Orioles for the number one draft pick right now. But the Orioles have been playing somewhat better as of late. Um, but a big reason why is because of a international league – or not international, but uh, uh, some clever scouting and some injuries – and the number for me is 161, and that is a weighted runs uh, weighted runs created plus for one Pedro Severiano um, in 77 appearances against left-handed pitching, and he's been he's been hitting the ball pretty well for the the Orioles in terms of just providing him a good defensive catcher who they basically picked up for nothing, and he is. The Orioles have struggled with. I mean, right now, I mean, they they picked up Adley uh, Rutschman. He was their number one pick, but Serviano is only twenty five years old, and he's been platooning with Cisco. But I mean, th- this is I mean, this is a good find by the Orioles. That number pops out to me. His pop time, by the way, is in the top half of all catchers, and he's ten percent above league average at thirty seven percent in terms of attempting running the seal, according to. Um, but. He is, according to Fangraphs, Baseball Savant, Baseball Prospects, all list him as below average uh, pitch framer. But those numbers, offensive numbers, Chris, I mean, that, that stands out to me. Um, hey, I mean, in terms of his brief, for in terms of his career, 113 weighted runs created, like plus um, against lefties. But his righty against righties, however, is 58. But still, I mean, um, yeah, he's putting he's, he's he's his walk rates in line too, and he he's a uh, guy who doesn't swing much out in the strike zone. So yeah, and he, he uh, it's always tough being on the short side of a platoon, you know, when you're only facing lefties, right? But you can carve out a niche if you're a solid defender, and, and the you know the pitch framing's not there. But I think he's got. He said his arm is fine, and, and the defense probably overall is okay. So yeah, it's not a bad find for like you said they. Did they trade for him, or did they just claim off waivers from the Nats? They claim off waivers from the Nats. And the Nats, the Nats yeah, he was but, a highly regarded pick in the Nats, too, I believe, as well. Yeah, so that's, uh, I mean, that's, you could go ahead and compare that to, like, the Tigers claiming John Hicks, I guess, who was, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, he played a little catcher, and he was okay for a little while. We'll see what happens with Severino going on. But, yeah, nine home runs and, and not striking out too much, not bad. Yeah, and for the backup catcher. So, Chris, what's your inside number this week? Mine is negative 11.85, which is a bizarre random number, but that is Nico Goodrum's RE24 this year, which ranks 156 out of 158 qualified hitters. 
Now, I bring this up like once a year. So if, if people are new or don't remember, RE24 is kind of the sabermetric equivalent of RBIs. If you want to just take a quick and dirty explanation, basically it stands for run expectancy on the 24 base out states, which is just a terrible name, but there's not really a better way to describe it. And basically the idea is there's, there's a certain expected run total depending on uh, or, or for every mix of base runners and outs. So if, the, if you come up to the plate with two outs and nobody on base, you're expected to produce like 0.09 runs. That's just the average. And if you come to the plate with the bases loaded and nobody out, you're expected to produce 2.3 runs. So basically, RE24 takes those expected numbers, the averages, and then compares them to what the players actually did and then adds it up. So, you know, you come up with a bases loaded, nobody out, you strike out. That's negative 2.3 runs for you. So that's not good. And yeah, Nico Goodrum has not been good in, in situations like that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad hitter. Being Having a high RE24 means you're a good hitter. Like the top five right now is Mike Trout and Cody Bellinger and DJ LeMahieu and Freddie Freeman and Chris. You know, the best hitters in baseball have a high RE24. If you have a low one, you could be getting unlucky. You could uh, just be on a really bad team where you have to, uh, you know, hit hit cleanup or something. But uh, yeah, and, and, and so I don't think this necessarily tells us anything about Goodrum going forward. But if you look deeper, his, his way to runs created plus with the bases empty is 110, which is fine. You know, 10% above average, that, that's that's pretty good, especially if he's going to be a shortstop. But it drops way down to 59 with men on base and down to 39 with runners in scoring position, which I think these, these could just be small sample issues. Uh, but, he, you know, he's hitting 265 with no one on, 198 with men on, 185 with runners in scoring position. So if it feels like Nico Goodrum has been failing in bits, big situations, you're right. Uh, so... And again, it's he's like one for 17 with men on first and second and, and nobody out. Like, it's just a really weird. I don't think it's indicative of him pressing or anything like that. It might just be a strange thing. But yeah, as of right now, he's the third third worst RE24 in baseball behind uh, Leonis Martin, who was cut, and Starlin Castro, who was putting up ridiculously poor numbers. He's negative 20 RE24, which is crazy. But anyway. Wow. That's my number. All right. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, too. Like, he, you talk about fine defensive shortstop. He has – the only thing, too, about Nico sometimes, too, is like sometimes when I think he gets a little too – and stealing bases, he's been getting – picking his spots better with that. Yeah, he stole uh, yesterday. He had, he had yeah. a pretty good day despite, you know, that already – he was the second worst recently, so he had a couple of good games. I, you know, I, I don't know what the numbers say about his defense at shortstop, and there have been times when he kind of boots routine plays and stuff, but he looks like he doesn't look overmatched or anything like that. He looks looks like he can get to the balls, and he's got a solid arm. So I, I just, you know, I would love to just see them just play him every day, see what could happen. He, he's a below-average offensive player right now, but he walks, and he's got that speed, and he's got some raw power, and if he can play a competent shortstop, I'm fine with that. But... But, you know, Jordy Mercer, got to get him time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, because, you know, he, he needs the reps, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> anyways, that's another story for another day. And that is our good – or that is our inside numbers for the week. So um, let's uh, kick off. Let's go right into the good, bad, and ugly as the – there's uh, – in terms of, I know, Chris, you've been doing position players themes, so – what is your good and bad this week? Because I'm, I'm I'm intrigued to see 
if you continue perhaps the position theme or, or are you going to go maybe perhaps team oriented this time? Well, I, I, because I've been doing so much of that position by position and team and so forth, I decided to do all tigers today. Oh, awesome. Because this is a tigers podcast. I don't talk about the tigers that much, uh, in this segment, but I figured what the hell. So, uh, my good is Nick Castellanos since June 1st. Uh, you know, I've been kind of a, a critic of Castellanos. I, I, I I often call him the worst kind of good hitter. Uh, but if you've been watching lately, he looks really locked in, and the numbers backed it up. He's hitting 317, 410, 495 since June 1st, which is good for a 143 weighted runs created plus. That's that's really good. Uh, he's still not hitting the ball over the fence for whatever reason, but uh, he just had the by far the best strikeout walk numbers he's ever had in a month in his career. He walked 13 times and struck out 15 times, which is you know good for a 12.3% walk rate and a 15.1% strikeout rate. And that, you know, 0.81 walk to strikeout ratio, by far the best. Before that, his best month ever was 0.55, and that was last September. So, like I said, he seems really locked in, and it seems like a pretty good time for him to discover plate discipline. Would have been nice if he had done that three years ago, but if this is, you know, if this is real, if he's made a change and he's, he's doing something, it's it's perfect time for the Tigers because, you know, he's heating up when they might be able to trade them. Not to mention the Brave Scoutings. Brave Scouts were there last night, too. Yeah, well, you know, you don't know. They might have been there to see Jesus Colome or whatever. Um, True, but of but, course, Chris Mikowski. No, yeah, he said the Braves. <laughs> I mean, they, they say Brave Scouts are in attendance. I don't know if they... You know, Scouts are always in every game. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know if it, it's like, hello, Chris Mikowski of the newspaper. I'm, I'm here as a representative of the Braves to scout <laughs> Nicholas Castellanos. Please leave me alone while I do my work. Um, I mean, I'm sure teams are scouting Castellanos, but, you know, the White Sox have some pieces, too. They're not competing this year. But um, so, yeah. And somebody asked us a question. I forgot. Uh, it was like, what if we expect any surprises? This. Do you remember that question? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get to questions shortly. I. I it yeah. didn't come up this week. Well, I, I was just saying the, the one surprise I, I feel like is that people, I, I think if they trade in Castellanos, it's going to be for like two low ranked, low minors prospects. And that's going to be a surprise to some people. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, that was my good. My bad is Matthew Boyd in June, which is a bummer because, uh, you know, I kind of discovered this as we were doing the trade possibilities for Boyd. That his 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 numbers in June were just not great, uh, at least on the like the surface. So um, he he posted a five nine ERA and a five three eight FIP and batters at two seventy eight against him with ten homers and twenty nine innings pitched. Uh, the thing was that like the good stuff that he's done this year was all still there. He st- he struck out batters an elite rate, thirty two point eight percent, which is yeah I mean that's like top five. And he still wasn't walking anybody, 4%. So he's top five, top 10 in that sort of strikeout to walk ratio, which is, you know, only good pitchers do stuff like that. That's like Verlander and Scherzer. And so the core is still there. But that that home run spike was just kind of wild. And he's an extreme fly ball pitcher, so you worry a little bit about that. Um, I can't see him continuing to give up home runs on like a third of his fly balls. So that's why this is bad and not ugly. But it's kind of the opposite of Castellanos. Like he, <laughs> he's doing this at the wrong time. His team will be like, I don't know. He's a home run machine and uh, not point to the strikeouts and the walks. And so 
that's a bummer. I'm hoping he can turn it around here in July. Otherwise, uh, Tigers probably hold on to him, I would assume, if, if the value doesn't seem to be there. And uh, my ugly, I mentioned him earlier, is John Hicks in June. Um, he did have a big hit last night. A big, uh, shortly put the Tigers ahead in extra innings. But his, by F war, he was the worst hitter in baseball in June by wow. uh, a desertion. Uh, among hitters with 50 plate appearances. He hit 111, 127, 167 with 23 strikeouts and one walk in 55 plate appearances. Wow. He had three doubles, no homers. Uh, that resulted in a negative 32 weighted runs created plus, <laughs> which which you don't see very often, and a negative 0.8 war. So Ooh. he was worth almost... Uh, yeah, he, he dragged them down almost one win entirely by himself. And by the way, the second worst hitter uh, in June in baseball was Brandon Dixon. <laughs> at negative point five four, uh, although part of that is defensive. But he makes uh, you know he looks like Babe Ruth in comparison to John Hicks. He hit uh, what did he hit? he uh, he had six homers, fifty five WRC plus, fifty six homers, four walks, twenty five strikeouts, and one hundred plate appearances. So you know part of it maybe is just Hicks not getting enough playing time. But this is ugly because I think I think we're going to see Jake Rogers before too long, and. With, I, I think they like Bobby Wilson as kind of the veteran catcher presence, and Hicks isn't really catching much. And I just mentioned he's even worse than Brandon Dixon, so they don't really need him at first base. So I think we may be coming to the end of the John Hicks era in Detroit, at least for this year. Uh, and so that's getting kind of ugly for him. Oh, man. Well, I mean, it, it's 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 due. I mean, give you see what Jake Rogers can do at this point, and just I mean, it, it, it's it's. The whole catching situation right now, even I saw that uh, Grayson Griner is rehabbing right now in Lakeland. So mm-hmm. he's on his way up, probably back up, and it would make, they can probably make some moves with that. But uh, so my good and bad ugly this week is a little bit different, but I did put a couple Tigers as uh, I had some, like, a, I threw a couple stats in there for the purpose of making sure that, you're right, this is a Tigers podcast. We talk Tigers primarily for what, a half hour, 45 minutes each show, but. Um, out west, I, I want to start with my good and bad and ugly out west. The Dodgers ha- were the were the first team to win, or the, the, the consecutive walk-off wins since 2004 Oakland A's. They're 14 games ahead in the west. They're 30 games of 500, over 500. They've won eight in a row, and they're 36-9 and nine at home, which is the opposite of what the Tigers are doing at home right now. They're, they're winning at an 80% clip at home. It's quite impressive. And the Dodgers are still looking. I mean, there, there could be some players that there could be some moves for them at the trade deadline, of course. But the runaway with the West, I thought that I mean, we knew that even with some of the injuries, you saw that Russ. Um, I'm sorry, um, Rich Hill is going to be on 60 DL. Even with all the injuries, they still move move on. It's impressive, and they're just getting power from everywhere. Corey Bellinger is just a, a beast. And they're winning games close too. The two-one win over Arizona proves that. So, mm-hmm. but, they're scouting Shane Green too. Yeah, and they're yeah they're sharing. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I wouldn't mind having a couple Dodger prospects on this neck of the woods. And you know, Harold Castro, although his weighted runs weighted runs create or runs created plus. I'm saying, I'm saying that correctly, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll okay. just say WRC plus. Yeah, yeah WRC. Yeah, WRC plus. Not really good, but in the last you know in in the last two weeks. He's batting 303. His OPS is 606. And his uh, bat pip is 435. 
yeah, so that's not sustainable. But no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, he's he's doing he's filling in admirably. He, he's done far more than I expected him. I never expected him to come up to majors. So yeah, silver again, Chris. We're looking for silver linings here. Mm-hmm. On the bad, however, to me, and this was the London series, the Red Sox and Yankees. Uh, it's just we're, first of all, a lot of the, the in terms of it, it, the, the headline that I liked from England, which was came from Paul McGinnis. This great American jamboree finished in a manner approved by P.T. Barnum, which was the guy who runs the circus. And they a lot of the, a lot of people in London were complaining about how how hijacked the tickets were, the prices where tickets were ridiculous. But seventeen, I mean, the Red Sox gave up seventeen runs, twelve the next, and just how long it was like I think the average hour it was like almost in the three or four hour range of how long these games took I'm trying to find the box score but the Red Sox by the way it was something that was exposed they have the they have the American League's worst 17 blown saves and the Red Sox have blown 12 potential starter wins so David Browski what the old old ghosts you know they lost Joe Kelly and they let Craig Campbell go, and so yeah. yeah I mean, there it seems like they're definitely been in the market for closers. It's crazy. Their WOBA is seventeenth. The team yeah. ERA is sixteenth in the league. So the Red Sox have some problems, but I mean, again, the, the, the reason why I wanted to mention the London series is I don't I don't know about you, Chris. I mean, did you watch any of that at all? I watched a little bit of it, but it was it, they were like softball games, so it was kind of hard to. Like it's it's not necessarily the type of baseball I enjoy watching. Yeah, I, I like I like offense, but I don't like it when it's you know they both scored the, the first game. I think the Yankees had like three different six run innings. So come on, yeah, this is to, ridiculous. It was four hour. Okay, so four hour. I wasn't too far off. Four hours and forty two minutes. Saturday's game. Sunday's game was four hours and twenty minutes. And every time the Yankees and I always think like people are like, oh no no you're just you're, you're East Coast you're, you're uh, Midwest bias blah 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 no the Yankees and Red Sox are on ESPN a lot because of ratings whatever blah 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 I get it you know mm-hmm. we're not not the Midwest there's nothing exciting it's not I'm not even bitching to the Tigers on ESPN because the Tigers shouldn't be on ESPN period it's not that I'm saying anything about that should be on Fox Sports Detroit <laughs> should be on pass put them back on pass yeah. um, all jokes aside it's just it's terrible baseball to watch because it's like this. Thing that like oh they, they they fall over thing off and I, I I'm sorry but every time those two teams I'm I'm sorry I I don't get it I really don't and then this weekend was amplified I, I watched a good part of the Saturday's game it was just it was atrocious and I mean the crowds looked Riley and everything there was that one guy who had a Yankees hat that turned around it was a Boston hat at the same time which was actually pretty <laughs> uh, pretty cool and they might come in handy if you if you're a Michigan fan going to Ohio State sorry Keen but uh, <laughs> either way um it's I didn't enjoy it at all, and I think that's bad to me. Yeah, I didn't. I, it, I don't think it had this sort of impact that baseball was hoping. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know what, exactly what they were hoping for. Maybe there were some young kids in London who were like, "This is great, and I want to play this." I did enjoy the uh, the British commentary. I don't know if you heard any of the British play-by-play. Yes, I did. Uh, it was just, you know, it's just. Like, oh, what he absolutely walloped that one. <laughs> yes. That was very oh, smashing. We need more wallops. Yeah. He wallops it. He's uh, been a magician. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, 
get some of these soccer announcers to that's baseball. That's fun. Yeah, there will be some audio. Um, I ha- like I actually I you know it's funny is like I had that pulled up, but I wasn't sure. Um, but yeah, this is some of the this is by the way this is some of the awesome British calls from the series. If you've ever heard it yet. That's a long one. The long bomb. Even the way they say socks and Yankees, it's just, it's, I don't know. It, I don't want to sound like a dumb American, like, oh, your accent's are fire. It's not that at all. It's just the, the way the English are always able to use their vernacular is impressive. So, it's, yeah, it's different and fun. Yeah, by the way, that audio is courtesy of MLB.com. But, uh, so, anyway, it, it, yeah, I, that that's probably maybe the only good part about the the whole series, honestly, for me. I mean, it was, it's it's always mm-hmm. – as somebody who appreciates kind of like a different spin on commentary because instead of, uh, you know, the – here's a 3-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Yeah, Joe Buck. Uh, strike three, you're out. Uh, that's uh, a home run, and yeah. the Cardinals have won the World Series. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Damn. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Um my ugly though is, and, and this is where. And speaking of announcers, is one Mr. Th- Thorne Brenneman, who, oh. uh, okay, how out of touch are you, sir? So uh, during the Reds and uh, Reds and Cubs game, and I have the audio right here as well for this. He said that Addison Russell had to suffer through the suspension. Here we go. By the way, Reds had some really cool looking uniforms too for that game. I um, forgot about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, please play. Uh. You know, we were starting to talk a little bit about Russell last night. I, I really believe, Cowboy, I'm curious if you feel the same way, that he is going to be one of the more interesting players to watch uh, through the rest of this year and really moving forward in his career because you know, there are a lot of other things going on around him. He had to suffer through a suspension that had to do with the – a domestic situation, and you know this guy was the number one ranked minor league player in all of professional baseball three years ago, coming up through the Oakland Athletics farm system. He comes to the Cubs. All right, so yeah, it was basically him saying he had to suffer through a lot of things around him, and it's one of those things where, for me, as just doing podcasts for as long as I have, and same thing with you, Chris. If you don't know enough about it, or you shouldn't speak about it at all period to me it's 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 like me talking about the rigonomics and the impact of it i don't know enough to talk about rigonomics i'm not going to you shouldn't talk about something that you have literally no idea what what happened i mean how has he quote-unquote suffered through the suspension what kind of fucking out of touch shit is that yeah that's not great you know it's one of those things where you're a professional broadcaster i I always like you said from talking kind of contemporaneously, like, or extemporaneously, I don't know. I think that's how it's done. See, I just made the mistake. Um, <laughs> you make mistakes when you're, when you're talking. Right. But that, yeah, you're a professional broadcaster. You don't want to make something like that because it, it reveals 
it's not really a mistake. It kind of reveals how you feel about the situation. And that's not ideal. Because, yeah, the, the, the guy, the professional athlete who got suspended for, um, you know, domestic assault or whatever has to suffer, apparently. <laughs> that, that's just not, that does not work. So, you know, there have been some, uh, there have been some awful announcing this year between the Reds and the Pirates and, you know, and then of course the Tigers just not being very good announcing, but whatever. Yeah. 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 It's, it... <laughs> and speaking of announcing, Mario Pemmes coming to town this weekend for the White Sox or for the Red Sox this weekend. So, oh, good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we can do an old celebrity death match with him and Rod Allen. It should happen. The old <laughs> claymation series, whatever, from the, what was that, the 90s? Yeah, the 90s. Never watched one, it, yeah. but. Um, either way. Um, anyways, uh, so, yeah, that's our good and bad and ugly for the week. So, um, either way, uh, yeah, the, the now, yeah, Thorm, Thorm is one of those people I think that, like, sometimes. I feel with some of the older announcers when they when they try to get into like the current events or non baseball related stuff, some some do really well. Thorm is definitely not the case. Well, yeah. So Tom Burnham's dad uh, was Marty, right? I think they come from like a broadcasting family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I don't know. You should know better. Yeah. But again, maybe it's just a window into what he actually thinks. So anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we move on. Um, we do have some questions for the week, Chris. Do you have those questions ready, sir? I do not. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, 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 the only one I saw was the the one, and I don't. I I did that poll, so my mentions went kind of crazy, my notifications. So I don't know where it is, but it was just like if you expect any surprises, I think that was it. I'm looking now, but it seems yeah. unlikely that I'll find it. Uh, I know. I, I know we had Ed Miller. Ed Miller had a question. Good old Ed Miller. Yeah. I think that I think that was from him. Okay. Um, I'll look. I'll keep looking. Uh, well, yeah. What? There you go. What's the surprise Tiger trade deadline? And will the Astros cave for Tucker? Um, hmm. I already said. Yeah. I, I I don't think the Astros will cave for Tucker. I don't think the Matthew Boyd is a good fit for the Astros anyway. Um, in, in that, yeah, I just don't think the teams work out for the the prospects and and what the team's looking for. Um. I think I mentioned earlier the surprise trade. I think will be Nick Castellanos getting bringing back like two rookie level prospects, and people are going to be. I, I think maybe people are kind of resigned to that at this point, but I think it might be a surprise how poor the return is. But who knows? Maybe if he keeps hitting, I'll be surprised by how good the return is. We'll see. Yeah, there's some people who are more impressed about me putting Barbio Garbay out there. The question was the only other question I had on Facebook was, is do you, do you, that was Bob, Bob Buck Farmer. Has Buck is it just me or Buck Farmer has been struggling lately? Uh, I mean, are we defining lately as the last four years? <laughs> well, I mean, we're they, they, okay. So, our uh, Facebook friend uh, Dan, Dan, mm-hmm. uh, Dan was asking about that because he's you saying that earlier in the year Dan, or that uh, Buck Farmer looked like he was changing his tune a little bit. But his numbers look almost identical at this point last year than they were. His whip is 1.50. He's been out there quite a bit, but he, in terms of he's almost a walk, it's his walk rate's up again. Strikeouts are not there. But yeah, you know his numbers. I'm looking at them right now. They they actually overall in the season, his uh, look look 
better than last year, other than some home runs. And it's the batting average on balls in play is three sixty three. And is, uh, he's got more highly hits. elevated. Yeah, more hits than innings pitched at this point. Yeah, and so, but I, it, you know, it seems like they throw him. I, I got to check to see where he stands in terms of the games. He's he's been in thirty seven games. Um, which I'm, I'm curious where that is because it, it does. It feels like they pitch him just every every he, other day. Yeah, yeah. Um. So 37 games is yeah, it's not not towards the top. It's not too bad. Alex Claudio of the Brewers has been in 46 games, but he's the lefty specialist who's going to be playing until he's 50. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Farmer doesn't even make the top 30, so it's not been too bad on him. Alcantara has been in 40 games. So, but yeah, I, mean, I just I don't I don't think Farmer is particularly good, and this is why uh, you know I really you know, Robert James has the the Buck Farmer. Uh, it, it's kind of a great, I don't know what he calls it, the Buck Farmer test. Basically, if your reliever doesn't have a fastball and a secondary pitch as good as Buck Farmer, then what good is he? <laughs> like you, so you look, you look at the prospects and say, is this guy throw, is his fastball better than Farmer or is his changeup or his breaking ball better than Farmer's changeup? Because Farmer has a plus changeup and he throws in the mid-90s and he's still just kind of staying afloat in the major league level. And I think that's a good point. I mean, there are probably some other spin rate and command and control aspects to it but yeah uh you know buck farmer is kind of the replacement level player although he's been a little bit better than that this year so i don't know i I haven't looked let me do one more look to see if he actually has been worse lately we'll break down the splits how about that is that what you were looking at yeah but i wanted to break down the splits so yeah so yeah there you go in March and April, he had a 270 ERA. In May, it was 5.6. In June, it was 4.15. So he was actually better in June than he was in May. Uh, in July, he's only had a, an inning in the third, and it's uh, 6.75. But I don't know. He just, he's just kind of there. He's just a guy in the bullpen doing his thing, bucking around. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, but uh, yeah. So that was the other question we had for the week. But uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, we'll go ahead, Chris. Yeah, there's a question from Chris. Uh, he said, "Hey, can you talk about the futures game real quick?" Yes. And Chris, you you got it. <laughs> because no, I don't. You know, futures game is one of like my two favorite events of of the season because I love prospects and I love the draft. And you and never, I also love the futures game. You also get very giddy, Chris. I, I yeah, yeah. Sorry, I apologize for that. Yeah. No, I, no, no. Hey, why? Why apologize, dude? I I, I love it, man. I honestly, I honestly love that because it's. With the way things are right now, and the Tigers heading towards, I mean, driving the, the, the tank right now, it's, it's, you got to look forward to some, man. I, I like it. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and the Tigers have three players this year, which I can't remember the last time they had three. They've got Matt Manning, who was there last year, and I believe last year, maybe two years ago, last year, uh, and Isaac Paredes and Jake Rogers. So this, you know, if, if, if people have MLB Network, it's on a Sunday night, I believe. They, they moved it to primetime, which is apparently why they dropped it from nine innings to seven innings. They sw- swapped it with the celebrity softball game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's it, – it's it's a great chance to see the top prospects in baseball play against each other. It's basically – you know, it's an exhibition, an all-star game, but you get to see the best of the best face each other, at least the best of the minor leagues. And it's sort of sort of a, a proxy for what they'll be seeing in the major leagues. And it's you get it. We're going to get a glimpse of Wander Franco, the number one prospect in baseball. We can see Mackenzie Gore and Joe Adele and Jared Kelenic, who some people wanted the Tigers to take last year. He's going to be there. Alec Baum, 
is going to be there. The third overall pick last year. I think Madrigal's going to be there. So all these you know, recent top picks, all these top prospects going out there playing against each other. And it's, it's really fun. It's, it's, uh, some guys put themselves on the map. Sometimes, uh, you know, Nick Castellanos won the MVP in his year in the futures game, I believe. Uh, that was in Kansas city. So this one's in Cleveland and, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see a bunch of these kids uh, play. You know, we could see a lot of them on MILB TV, but still, I think a lot of people haven't, haven't seen them. And, uh, um, I'm curious to see, who goes out there and, and blows me away? Really want to see Franco do some good things. You know, our, our buddy Dan Hasty told us he was the best prospect he's ever seen in the Midwest League, and that's you know he saw Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis, so who's hitting what 330 with double-digit home runs and steals and, and the best throwing arm from shortstop and yeah. So yeah, there's gonna be a lot of talent. And and this year, I don't think this is gonna be on TV. But if people are super nerdy like me, they. Uh, Major League Baseball has started a new kind of tournament for the uh, rising high school players. They call it the PDP League, I believe. Uh, it kind of replaces what used to be Tournament of Stars. And it's 80, 80 kids on four teams playing against each other for a couple of weeks. So so the, some of the names that we'll hear this time next year is going in the first round. You know, the top high school players like Mick Abel and Dylan Cruz and stuff like that. Um they're selecting 40 of them, and they're coming up to play an all-star game in the uh, in, at uh, Progressive Field. I think that's what it's called in Cleveland, right? Yep. So that's it. If you're interested in next year's draft and looking at some high school talent, the, you know this is kind of a precursor to what we'll, we'll also see the Under Armour game and the Perfect Game Classic later in the summer. But this is going to be kind of like that, and you, you can watch it streaming on uh, MLB.com, I believe. So if you're a really hardcore prospect person, that might be for you. And guess what? I'm a really hardcore prospect person. So. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So it's a good weekend for me. Yeah. And then there's the home run derby and the all star game. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> By the way, Shane Green I, is the Tigers all star. Yeah. Congratulations to Shane Green. Well deserved. And you know, yeah. Chris, I'm telling you, if the one thing I wanted to add for the all star game, if there's one thing, an event they should add that I think would do really well, is they should get targets. And I think they've done this mm-hmm. in the AAA game, where you hit to a target. And you, yeah, they do it in the uh, in the Arizona Fall League. Yeah, there, there are targets, and you get like points, and there's like hula hoops on the ground. Yeah, that is so sweet, and I think that would be an awesome skill test because I think I'm sorry, the home run derby has never been interesting to me, even when it was at Comerica Park and how cool that was to have it here. I've never, I've, I'm sorry, it doesn't do anything for me. And if yeah, you, I mean, they've started. You get extra points for hitting at a certain distance. I think over 450 is it. Yeah, Maybe, yeah um, correct. Yeah, distance. Yeah, I mean, they're doing all with stat cast. There's no reason they can't do it like, uh, you know, hey, you're a right-handed hitter. You hit at the opposite field. You get extra points for that or something. It's just to show some more of the skill. And, and targets are always fun. Somebody hit a sign a few years back. It was like a 500-foot sign, and they hit it. And, they, you know, somebody won a car or something. I forgot what, what happened. But you know, that's just <laughs> terrifically vague. But I remember that being very fun. That like, oh, he hit the sign. But yeah, more of that. Yeah. Like, like there was the old uh, baseball game that I we talked about in one of our video game shows, where you could have home run derbies in somebody's living room. That's good fun, breaking things. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, if you could like imagine uh, a guy who just hits it right through like a ring in left center, just right like a, the ring, like the smallest ring possible, 
and just <laughs> nettle or th- uh, nettling or kneeling the, or thread through a needle kind of thing. That would be so sweet. That yeah, just I, rock and rock and jock it up. Yeah, there we go. Ten point. You know what, man? Give me a give me the old days of rock and jock where you hit a ten. You get a ten point three pointer or a ten point shot. Give me that. Well, I mean, and and you could. I mean, it's just kind of silly, but like one of the unique things about baseball is the differences in every stadium. Right. So if you like point out the little, like the, the, you know, Comerica, the pic, the picnic porch, you hit the Pepsi picnic porch, or you hit one of the statues, like you can do that and give extra credit or whatever, and also be highlighting the unique aspects of your stadium. And, and it seems like it's a win-win, but you know, I don't know, the home run derby's gotten better with the timer and stuff like that. It just, uh, it's a little bit like the slam dunk contest where it goes through these, these severe lulls where like nothing is exciting. But uh, they got some some good participants this year. I think Peter Alonzo's in it, I believe. So that should be fun. Oh, you know what? I, I thought of an idea for pitchers. What if? Okay, so I think they do this in. They do this when you're when you're building up your guy in MLB the show in the in the old version. I'm not sure. I haven't played the new version mm-hmm. honestly. But if they had a, well, the most accurate pitcher. So a pitcher would have to hit certain targets on the catcher mitt, or like not even a catcher's mitt, but like a. It could be like a, a color box, and. Well, to- yeah, like the NHL, they they did that with there were four targets on the corner of each yeah, net for, the, yeah, for their all star skills thing. Like, yeah, you could do that with a pitcher. Yeah, so they would have to. So for example, to hit the bottom, like so, let's say it's a a lefty and a right handed batter to hit the bottom right corner, where like mm-hmm. like knee length like a curveball, they would have to hit a curveball in that spot and get like yeah, like points. you do it like twister, <laughs> where you like spin it and like oh. Curveball, bottom left. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's 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 even better. Yeah, you you, that's even better, Chris. And then, yeah, like you get a, a, a fastball upper right chin level. I mean, it, it, but you have to be within, within uh like uh with the, between the letters. Good luck. You know. Yeah, it would be kind of fun. I, you know, they never want to get people hurt, but. I don't know. It would be fun. Yeah, but like I said, you have a box and you hit the box color, and then that way, there's no catcher involved. And this box, you would just see like a. It would be something that would be something where it makes a. a, It would hit the pitch when a light would go off. You know what I mean? Like an alarm Mm -hmm. or some cool sound effect, and it would add baseball. It would add some pizzazz to it a little bit, I think. Yeah. So. But you know, I, I. I'm in favor of making things wacky. You know, I keep talking about having a warning moat instead of a warning track, but uh, nobody, nobody <laughs> seems to like that. So whatever. Yeah, I, I you know I what want water on. I want water in play. <laughs> I want you know what I want to happen happen is like when the, the old in old Chase Stadium when the apple would pop up and the confetti yeah. would happen. I want more of that. I want when every time he hits a home run, it's I don't uh, in Chicago the, the fireworks. Yeah, the Marlins. I know they it's got sh- rid of their monstrosity. Yeah, which thank God it was, it was disgusting. Um, the White Sox hit, do fireworks, I think. Yeah, they still do. They still do the the, the the spinning wheel thing that was from the old Comiskey they brought over. Hey, jazz it up, honestly. You you gotta need it because attention spans are getting shorter. We all know this, and quite frankly, why not? Why not make something different instead of this? Blah, 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 but anywho, I digress. Uh, enjoy your Fourth of July. Hopefully, the Tigers start at two. The Tigers do have Matt Boy going on the hill today at two o'clock. So enjoy your 4th of July. Be safe, everybody. We'll be back next week. Emily Walden of The Athletic will be joining us, talking a little bit about her experience with the Futures game. And I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll be back. Uh, yeah, we'll be – oh, you know what? 
first half grades for the Tigers next week because it's going to be the All Star break. So we'll be talking. Right. So yeah, we'll be doing our uh, ha- like our uh, second angle. First half grades. I I think we did it last year. Pretty sure. I, I have no idea. You know, you know what? A whole lot of D's. A whole lot of D's. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, so thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And, again, thanks for all the comments, feedback we've been getting. We appreciate it. And follow us at Tigers Twitter uh, on Twitter at Tigers SRD. Follow Chris at ChrisBrown0914. And follow me at Rogcast81. We Again, everybody with the feedback, appreciations. Thank you at Miller. Ray, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. All everybody, we've we've uh, just the last couple weeks have been great. Last last six months or so have been great, and we appreciate the back and forth between everybody on Twitter. So until then, we'll see you. <laughs>